How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeetings.com forward slash tips. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Peppy. Peppy today. Yeah. Very peppy. Yeah. Feeling peppy. As well you should. I mean, it's not like everything's gone wrong or anything. Everything's no, great. The whole no. world is perfect right now, <laughs> and so I'm feeling peppy. Peppy. I, I think that's good. Well, we should be peppy because what a, an amazing uh, guest we have this week. Look, this idea, by the way, that you had of us adding guests, I think it was your idea. It what was. What a great idea. What a... Well, what a... Just, just to review, uh, <laughs> so we had done the podcast for 18 years. 18 years, correct. And, yeah. then, um, and then someone had the idea that it might be good if we get microphones right. instead of just that shouting was... at our computers. And that, <laughs> that was a huge innovation after 18 years. And then about, I think it was about uh, 13 years after that, it was in yes. season 31 of the podcast that uh, that I suggested we could have people come on to talk who weren't you and me. So and that weird. Was a, that was a real breakthrough. I believe, I'll, we'll have to check this, I think we were the first podcast to do that. I think well, we were the... I think that's right. right. That's, I think that's we what were. I was... Well, and that's what I've been seeing. I've been seeing other people do it, like other yeah. people having everybody's guests copying them. us. Yeah, we were the ones who invented the idea of having a guest on the podcast who wasn't us to make it more interesting, and that was season thirty-one. And so now here we are. Uh, we it's been another six years, and so we're in season season thirty-seven here. And and today we have a very exciting guest. We're very happy to have him here. Why don't you yes. go ahead and introduce him? Our, my dear friend, uh, one of the funniest people in the world, comedian Gary Goldman. Gary, welcome. Oh, hi guys! Thanks for having me on, and it's it's great to be back on the on the podcast. It's so yeah. Fun. Every time I come on, it is very similar to the conversations we have over meals. So I think that's the best part. Of it. <laughs> that's, that's the great thing about this show. We don't add anything that we like. Like literally. Mike and I, our first podcast was at a minor league baseball game. Nobody was recording, but people were telling us to shut up from like all around us. <laughs> that's right. And 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 it's like, hey, let's just record this and do a show. And that's literally what we did. We didn't change a single thing. And and now adding you, which is basically just you and me having lunch. This is the greatest, the greatest uh, thing in the world. So instead of um, crowds at a minor league baseball game telling us to shut up, now people can tell us to shut up from the comfort of their own homes. <laughs> It's, it's so much more convenient now yeah, for people to, tell for them. to shut up. It's great yes. for the consumer. <laughs> really, it really is. So it's great to have you on, Gary. Uh, th- we're going to get into some some baseball stuff. There, there are a couple of things that I know are in each of your minds that I want to uh, talk about. But uh, cannot pass up this opportunity. Uh, you're both big uh, Boston area sports fans, um, and and I and there's a question that went on the internet, and I kind of posed it out there. I just retweeted it. It wasn't my question originally. Um, 
but I posted out there and I think it's an amazing question. It's, it's a question that like when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's pretty cool. But then the more I thought about it and the more people responded, the more I realized that there are really a lot of layers to the question. So I'm going to put the question as, as, as it was put on Twitter and then you guys can, can, uh, can respond. This is from Paul Moringer and Paul asked the question after Teddy ball game, Bird, Brady, or Bill Russell and Big Poppy. So after Ted Williams, Larry Bird, Tom Brady, Bobby Orr, Bill Russell, and Big Poppy, who is the next most popular athlete in Boston sports history? And and here's here's what I think. And I and I you guys need to jump in because you're the Boston guys. But here's what I think. Uh, and I just mentioned this to Gary. I think that this question leads to my new theory, which is that no sports town has more legendary heroes to the town itself than Boston. This is, this is my working theory. Yeah. It's my working theory. So first of all, first glance, first question, Gary, who is your answer for that question? Well, here, I have a problem with the, with the question basically because Bill Russell has, has never gotten his, do there and yes. won nearly twice as many championships as as Brady and revolutionized the game of basketball and so I'm you said Yaz well Yaz was much more popular than than Russell and I, I would say that a number of Red Sox were probably more popular than Russell Russell didn't take the the abuse with with a smile and and he was also very active as as a, an activist, and he was outspoken, and so he was not embraced during that time in in Boston, and and a, a lot of people do not do not feel that he was appreciative enough, and it's just it's a, a, a ridiculous and, and a really really sad chapter in, in Boston sports history. So I would I would say that it's nice that Russell is recognized. He's probably as as successful and as talented as anybody on that list, but but Yaz, I would say, would be ahead of that. But for me, the the guy who was who was really something when I was growing up was was Doug Flutie. Yes, yeah, and it, it's interesting because I I got recruited to play there in '88, and he had won the Heisman in in for the '84 season, I think. So. But, but he won the Cotton Bowl in 85, the beginning of 85. And when I was visiting there, there it was almost as if it had happened 30 years ago. It was, it's so weird how a college moves on from, from <laughs> that level of hero because they had had two consecutive losing seasons after, <laughs> after that. And, and it was just it, it was it was so bizarre. And, and, and it made sense to me as a 17-year-old, as a I remember thinking, yeah, of course, that happened so long ago. Why would, they, why would they bring it up? It would be tacky for them to bring it up at this point. Now I realize that as a, as a 49-year-old man, that, that three years is, is basically about six weeks in the life of, the, of an adult. But back then, it was, it, it, Doug Flutie was like this, this guy who had we, – we really, other than the Celtics, we didn't have much to root for in Boston when, when the Eagles made that run that year. So I, I would say for me, but Doug Flutie was the, was the hero. And, and, and I, I was surprised at more people, but then Yaz, I think is the obvious one. Mike, what do you think? 
Well, okay, so Gary's totally right that Russell in his day was underappreciated. I will say that in the intervening years, in a revisionist history sort of a way, yeah, it, it does seem like he has caught up. People have generally recognized his extreme greatness uh, retroactively, and his right. popularity has has definitely increased retroactively. Right. Yeah. Um, which so I, it's a little bit. I mean, the 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 trick with this question is is like it's not who's the greatest athlete in in history. It's who's the most popular, right? And so, I think Russell now counts on the list because of the way that people have kind of uh begrudgingly i mean look if you're looking for like shameful aspects of boston's relationship to its (laughs) african-american athletes like you know get in line buddy like that you know russell russell's way up there but he's he's it's not like he's alone in, in that in that regard but now i think uh in a slightly more advanced age um, I think I do think he belongs on the list, even above Yaz, because people have he's st- partly because he's still around, you know, and, I mean, Yaz is, too. But he's he's around and, and he has taken on this kind of extreme elder statesman. Um, you know, he gives out the the finals awards. Right. Like right. he's that right. he's like he has that status as um, as kind of the 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 eminence grease of the NBA. So I, I think he belongs on the list now. If you're going strictly by who's most popular, the answer is probably Rob Gronkowski, <laughs> even though he currently plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think I don't even know, um, so, because his like his kind of the the Patriots' uh, incredible run over the last twenty years had uh, where they had everything in the world except for happiness. There was no happiness involved with that team. They were led by the most dour human being in the world. And Tom Brady is just kind of a, is like a football robot who had, who seems pleasant as a guy, but is not, he's not like a happy person. And then Gronk showed up and like, he brought the only thing that that dynasty lacked, which was joy. And I think that really kind of cut through um, the, the, the sort of like social fabric a little bit. And there's other, there's other possibilities, right? Like, um, in terms of popularity there's other you could say that like i mean literally like jerry remy belongs on that list somewhere not because not because he uh was an amazing player but because he's been announcing red sox games for a really long time Um, in a similar way yeah exactly and and you know like lou merloni if you had asked this question 10 years ago the answer would have been lou merloni because he's from (laughs) massachusetts uh so I think the answer is probably Gronk. Doug Flutie is a good answer. Then there's the rate. There's like Ray Bork. I mean, Ray Bork was so popular in Boston that when he went to the Avalanche and won the Stanley Cup, finally, they had a parade in Boston for I, him. Or, yeah. For him. Right. Yeah. Like, so I, so I think popularity being the key, I think the answer is Gronk. It's, it's basically your, your four candidates to me are Gronk, Yaz, Doug Flutie, and then some random like Lou Merloni or Jerry Remy type who is popular only because of his continued sort of association with whatever team he played for. Well, you have to throw in Pedro, right? So Pedro is the other oh, one. I'm sorry. I for, I keep forgetting this. Pedro's not on that list, right? That Pedro not, is okay. not. That's so, actually right. kind of surprising. It's kind of crazy. The, the the answer is either Gronk or Pedro and then the and then that list of people afterwards. I think Pedro probably uh, is a little bit higher because Boston is still to this day more of a baseball town than it is a football town. Amazingly, 
Um, so I think, yes, I, I, I kept forgetting when you and I were talking about this over text, I kept forgetting that Pedro was on the list because I assumed he was. But given that he's not, the answer is either Pedro or Gronk and then the other one of Pedro or Gronk and then all those people I mentioned a second ago. What do you think? What do you think, Gary? Pedro? No, I, I, I have to agree with Mike. The interesting thing about Gronkowski, and I, and I know this isn't his, his biography, but he went to high school at every single high school in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows somebody exactly like that from their high school who was just beloved and and continues to show up to high school parties and, and things like that. So, so yeah, I think Gronkowski is the most popular Boston athlete in in history, and he would show yeah. up to the parties. I imagine on, on crutches and he would get drunk and. And you, did, you didn't really even begrudge him hitting on your girlfriend at these parties because he, he was just, he was so lovable and, and funny. No, you bragged about it. You were like, guess who hit on your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I think that like, um, there is, a, if you made a Venn diagram uh, of Boston, Florida, and Arizona, the one spot where they overlap is Rod Gronkowski. Like, <laughs> he's just, he, he, you know, like he is such a he is a recognizable archetype who even Boston has its own problems and its own issues and its own terrible checkered history with racism and and nonsense. And, and it all. But it's also an ancient city by American standards. It's 400 years old and it has very, very little in common with the University of Arizona or anything involved with Arizona in general. But what it does have in common is Rob Gronkowski belongs in both places. So that if you're, if you're talking popularity, you might, you might edge um, Gronk above Pedro. I just think, I think Pedro gets the edge just because uh, he, he, by the way, brought joy to a totally moribund franchise, a franchise that, that was nowheresville. And he gave Red Sox fans hope, for years when they didn't deserve any, you know, he led, he led some of those Red Sox teams into the playoffs and in, in some cases deep into the playoffs. And uh, at a time when like, they just didn't deserve to be there when they had Troy O'Leary hitting fifth in their lineup. And so there is like, I, I think that his popularity doesn't stem from just kind of being a big lovable doofus. It comes from actual on the field achievement uh, and then winning an 04 kind of capped it off. So I think Pedro gets the edge, but Gary's also right that like he Gronk is Gronk's popularity comes from familiarity and recognizability more than anybody else. Yeah. 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 Do you remember the person who used to send to the podcast used to send tweets to us like that, that her and her friends would do like they would have quiz shows. Like, would Rob Gronkowski know this? Do you remember this? There was like, there was like, it was, it was like, it would be like Amelia Earhart. Would Rob Gronkowski know who she is? Like things like that. It was hysterical. I Just mean, hysterical. was the? I assume the answer was always no. Like he doesn't. That guy doesn't know anything. It was usually no, but then there were some weird like connections he would make that he would have heard about it in some bizarre way. It was. It was very, very funny. If if that person is still out there, please send us those again because they were oh, they were great. joyous, joyous. Uh, one other point to be made, and then Mike, I know you've got a a, a baseball thought. Um, yesterday, when this question came out, we Mike and I and Brandon McCarthy were were texting about it, and uh, Mike made the very strong point: a person we have not even mentioned, John Havlicek, 
uh, is oh, not wow. on that list and could very well be. And John Havlicek, you would you would certainly make the point, and I think Mike is right. I think Bill Russell's now Bill Russell is beloved in a way that he really wasn't as a player. But when they were playing, John Havlicek was way more beloved than Bill Russell. John Havlicek at his time was, you know, he was, yes. he and, right? I mean, he and Bobby Orr were the two most popular athletes in Boston. And yeah. uh, Brandon McCarthy had never heard of him. I just want to, I just wanted to get that out there for the record. Oh, wow. He, That's interesting. Yeah. He just said, who is Havlicek? Yeah. It was uh, uh, stunning. Uh, I mean, he, he, he then, he was like, we were, we thought he was kidding. And yes, then he was did. like, why he doesn't really, he's not a big NBA guy. Brandon isn't. So he was like, this guy like retired five years before I was born. And I don't really like the NBA. Why should I know who he is? <laughs> to which I responded that, that Ben Hogan retired five years before I was born. And I don't really like golf, but I know who Ben Hogan is. And then he just stopped texting. Me. So, uh, no, no, not before you sent him the Havlicek sold, uh, stole the ball, uh, YouTube, uh, link. To which the point he said, "Now nah, that's black and white. I'm not looking at that." Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> millennials, you know what I mean? Wow. These that's these millennials and their avocado but, toast. Mikhail was also huge uh, when I was growing up, and sure. then there was a, a Red Sox reliever who I ne- I never saw him play, but but um, Mayday Malone, Sam Mayday Malone. <laughs> <laughs> he was very popular. He was, he was hugely popular, and and. Yeah, mostly for his bar, but initially he was he was a very strong reliever who fell on some, some hard times. This was. I, I would venture to guess actually that if you're just going by the number of people who watched them perform, Mayday Malone is probably number yeah. one, right? <laughs> yeah. And more people watched Mayday Malone than any yeah. of those other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not, but didn't watch him perform. Didn't watch him play. <laughs> so, so, so that hurts. It hurts his um, cause. By the way, everybody's several people have written in about McHale. You mentioned McHale. Why does McHale get so much love and so little love for Robert Parrish? You guys are Celtics guys. Yeah. Well, what is the difference what, there? I can't the put my finger on it. They were both tall so guys. Weird. It's right. They both right. Played, they both played for the same three championship teams. Right. Right. I mean, I don't. I just. I don't remember what each of them looked like per, per, per se. <laughs> I, yeah. But I wonder if that had something to do with it. It's so weird. Just. It's just one of those mysteries we'll never get the yeah. answer to. But yeah. it's just very strange. All right, Mike. I want you to uh, to share your thought because we we exchanged. Uh, texts on this. Uh, it is it is a uh, very important rite of passage, I suppose, a ritual in baseball, I guess. Uh, and and you want it solved? Am I right? Am I am I explaining this right? Yeah, I, I, this is a very very deeply held belief, and and it's a huge problem in baseball. Look, baseball yes. has a lot of problems. We all know that. Um, I think this might be the single biggest problem facing the oh. game of baseball today. Fair. And I want it and I want it to be fixed. So <laughs> here's the situation at the at the end of a baseball game. Uh, that's a big game. And that could mean a clinching game of a playoff series or a no hitter or perfect game. Right. And the pitcher strikes out the final hitter. Right. Um, sure. Which means the uh, it's usually a strikeout, but it could be it could be a, a, a different kind of out. But let's assume it's a strikeout. And the, the, the defensive team celebrates because they've won the game. And the catcher rushes forward to embrace the pitcher. Yes. Who jumps into 
whom's arms. This is the this is the problem. Okay, so the answer is the pitcher should jump into the catcher's arms. This is there are there are many reasons for this. First of all, the catcher is wearing gear. That is like a, it doesn't make any sense for a person who's wearing a suit of armor to jump into anyone else's arms. It makes sense for the non-armored person to jump into the suit of armor's arms. And right. also because the catcher is the is the like president of the team. The catcher runs the team. The catcher is the only person facing the way that he's facing. He's called the whole game. He has he's guarded home plate. The catcher is in charge here. And as a result, the pitcher who recorded the out is the celebrant who jumps into the other person's arms. It's, it's like a kid jumping into uh, his or her father's or mother's arms. And yet, time after time after time, we see the reverse. We see the, the catcher and the pitcher run forward, and the catcher jumps into the pitcher's arms. Now, I, ha I have a theory about why this is true, which I'll hold for a second. But uh, but it's it's terrible. And and worse yet, what often happens is the pitcher and catcher rush forward and neither of them kind of knows what to do. <laughs> they they kind of stop and their arms are both extended and their faces are smiling and they're full of glee and joy. But they can't, they didn't decide beforehand who is going to jump into whose arms. And as a result, they just kind of stand there screaming at each other. And you're denied that wonderful moment of somebody jumping into somebody else's arms. And so what I'd like to do is standardize this and say, send a memo. Rob Manfred sends a memo to all 30 uh, teams and says, in the event of a playoff clinching game or a no hitter or a perfect game or anything, the, the, the official stance of major league baseball is the pitcher jumps into the catcher's <laughs> arms. And after that, we're good because then it will just be standardized across the sport. Now, one more thing. I do believe that the I've isolated. I've done a lot of research. I've been locked in my office for two months now because of uh, COVID-19. I've been doing nothing but researching this. Uh, I haven't seen my family. I haven't gone outside. I haven't done anything because I've been intently researching this uh, phenomenon. I believe I have narrowed it down, and I think I know why it happens. It's because in Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series in 1956, I believe, after the final out, Yogi Berra ran forward and jumped into Don Larson's arms. And I don't know whether this is because Yogi Berra was a diminutive gentleman yeah, sure. or it was a spur of the moment decision or Don, I don't know if Don Larson was tall. I don't know. But for one reason or the other, Yogi Berra jumped into Don Larson's arms and you've seen that clip a million times. And as a result, I think subliminally or subconsciously rather, everyone else is sort of following that trajectory except in times of uh where where people have maybe haven't seen the clip and that's when you get this weird awkward standoff <laughs> thing that happens 18 feet in front of the mound where they're just kind of like yelling at each other and screaming and don't know what to do so i think yogi bear blew it once again of course this is the fault of a new york yankee of course, uh, like like everything happened. like everything bad in baseball <laughs> And I and I I think we need to reverse it. I think we need to be swift. I don't think this is a time for uh for you know half measure. I think we need to. This needs to be a, a new institutionalized MLB rule. At the end of the game, the pitcher jumps into the arms of the catcher. Except, and Brandon I think uh, suggested this. Except if it's Madison Bumgarner. If it's Madison Bumgarner, it is okay for the catcher to jump into his arms, but that is he is the only guy. 
It's right. only Madison Bumgarner. He is the only exception. It's like when Mariano Rivera got to wear number 42 long <laughs> after every other team had retired it. We have right. a Madison Bumgarner exception where the right. catcher can jump into his arms. And other than that, pitchers jump into catcher's arms. End of story. Bumgarner, the only one to have this grandfathered in. That's right. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Gary, Gary, how do we feel about all of this? I have a number of thoughts. One, I want to draw a, a direct line from the embracing of, of the anti-intellectualism of Yogi Berra and his supposed wisdom, his ah. uh, Gardner-esque wisdom. I want to draw that to uh, the current situation in the White House. I, I think they are connected. <laughs> Everybody loves the 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 anti-intellectualism and the and the the nobody would say this because they're afraid of offending Yankees fans. This Yogi Berra was was not a bright man. He was not a sharp man. He, he, a lot of his his things were were illogical. They were, they were wrong. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to say was that I, I think that the jumping of the 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 catcher into the pitcher's arms may have also been related to um, the, the, I think that a lot of, and maybe I'm exaggerating this. And, and the only reason I think this is because of Daryl Porter being so uh, <laughs> honest about his, his struggles in the, in the seventies. But I think of, of uh, catchers to be the most likely to have to drink a lot because of the, the pain <laughs> and the loneliness behind that mask. And, and so I think a lot of times they're, they're running out there and the last thing they say before they jump into the pitcher's arms is, I think I stood up too fast. <laughs> I think I stood up too fast and I do not want to betray the, the, my drunkenness as, as well as the fact that I'm, I'm about to go down. So they jump into the pitchers and the, and the pitcher is understanding and also recognizes how difficult it is to be in that position for, for three hours. So, so these, these are my cock, these are cockamamie theories, of course, but, 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 but possible. And, and, and it doesn't surprise me that Yogi Berra misunderstood his role in, in the perfect game. Yes. And, and, and had a, he he was it was egotistical to the point that he felt that it was his perfect game. <laughs> I'm just by the way, I'm looking at. I just started googling f images of catchers and pitchers uh, after World Series clinching moments, and it is this is a plague. This is a real plague. <laughs> if you thought I was underestimating or or over exaggerating how bad this is. Jason Veritek at the end of 2004 jumped into Keith Folk's arms. And in the, if you Google it, it looks like Keith Folk is about to be snapped in half. <laughs> Jason Veritek was like 6'3, 240, and Keith Folk was like 5'11, 190. And Jason Veritek is, is look, it looks like Keith Folk is going to buckle under the weight of Jason Veritek. This can't go on. It doesn't make sense. Most catchers are bigger and heavier than most pitchers, especially relievers. Like, you know, there look, there is a couple of Raldis Chapmans out there, right? There's guys who were who were big, strong dudes. But generally speaking, your catcher is gonna weigh more than your pitcher. And again, need I remind you, he is wearing equipment, a lot of equipment. So we this this has to end. Um this is a real problem. We have this we have this like pause in the game right now. 
right? Uh, so sadly, none of us are, uh, no baseball is being played. We're not allowed to watch it. They're not allowed to play it. This is an opportunity. This is a real opportunity <laughs> for us to fix some of the really important things that are wrong with baseball. And we should start with this one. Okay. So I want to just say, now that you've Googled it, I went and Googled it. Gary Carter jumped into Jesse Orozco's arms at the end I mean, of the 86 World Series. Jesse, we... Jesse Orozco was spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he weighed 108 pounds and he jumped, yeah. Gary Carter jumped into his arms. Oh, Greg Olson jumped into John Smoltz's arms when they clinched the National League West. This really is a plague. You're not wrong. It's a wrong. plague. It's a, it is a, it is uh, it is run amok. It is run. A, it, no one has, uh, has dealt with this, right? This is just, this is run rampant and everyone has been too scared. Commissioners and, and league officials alike have been too scared to confront what is a very serious issue. Uh, and, and by the way, again, I'm going to say that worse than the catcher jumping into the pitcher's arms is when nobody jumps. I hate it when nobody jumps. It's so awkward. It's like they, it's like they run up to each other and they don't know whether they should, they should hug or kiss right. each other or just scream <laughs> or jump up and down. Like you need the cathartic release of the big moment is someone jumps into someone else's arms. And yeah. when you don't get it, it feels like you've been denied something really special. It's true. It's true. No, it really is. It's like going up to somebody you sort of are friends with and you don't know whether it's the handshake or the hug or the, right. you don't. Yes. And then, and then sometimes they lean in for like the, the kiss on the cheek. You're like, what? I didn't, I did not, I'm not prepared for that. By the way, Jorge Posada jumped into the arms of Andy Pettit when I mean, they beat the on. Phillies. Come on. Come on. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean, no, Pettit, this is it. Pettit was a big, Pettit was a big Texan guy, but still it just looks no. wrong. It just looks <laughs> it, wrong. Yeah. No, it's the worst photo. It's absolutely the worst photo. And, and it's look, you and I, Mike, we've disagreed in the past, but we're just on the same page with this. This is this this must end. This must stop immediately. I'm glad. I'm very glad you both agree with me on this because uh, <laughs> it 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 really like it's been bothering me for a really long time, and I never talked about it. Yes. Yes. All right. So I say in priority one, Rob Manfred, stop catchers from jumping into pitchers' arms. Two. See what you can do about this virus and and how you play ball. Don't you think that, that's pretty? <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say that's that's the general priority. In fact, I expect an announcement soon on the catcher thing. I think I think priority one is fix the catcher and pitcher who jumps issue. Right, right. Priority two is um, come up with a plan for how we can ever play baseball again. Right, that's true. And then and then priority three is like uh, maybe fixing the playoffs. <laughs> but we start but we start with we start with the first thing. We don't do oh. we don't make a move until the first thing. One step at a time. I, I I don't think there's any question. All right. Well, you know what? We have an ad to read. Uh and then we're gonna go to Gary's um baseball thoughts here. Uh do you wanna read it, Mike? Do you want me to read it? How do you want to handle this? Uh, I'm happy to read it. Please read it. It's a, read. It's a cause I, near and very... dear to my heart. It's it is. It's a it's a very good cause. Okay, here we go, people. More than 37 million people in the United States, including 11 million children, struggle with hunger. And as the COVID-19 outbreak continues, they need your help now more than ever. As the nation's largest hunger relief organization, the Feeding America Network of Food Banks is committed to serving communities, families, and children facing hunger in America, wherever they are. You can be there for your neighbors in need by donating now at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. This is brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
I will add only after that that uh, we recently reunited the cast of Parks and Recreation and did a special one hour or a half an hour episode uh, to raise money for Feeding America. And as of right now, we're at like $4.5 million, which is truly wonderful. um, And it's still going. uh, Donations up to $500,000, which is obviously long past, um, are going to be matched until May 21st. So you can, if you want to donate through the park, if you're a fan of Parks and Rec, and you want to donate to that specific site, it's just feedingamerica.org slash parksandrec, A-N-D-R-E-C. Uh, if you're not a fan of Parks and Rec, I mean, how <laughs> how dare you, first how of all? How dare you? How dare yeah, you? Why are you listening um, to this? How dare but, you? <laughs> but if you're not, you can just go to their main page at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Yeah. And and uh, the show was incredible. The show was amazing and so heartfelt. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I don't... I don't. First of all, everybody should who who can should donate anyway. But if if you can and you watch that show and didn't feel a little bit something, yeah, there's just stop how listening dare now. Just yeah, say we how don't dare need you. you. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you? Uh, one other one other thought along a little bit along those lines. What is uh, Mike? What is your facial hair situation at the moment? I uh, I think the technical medical term for it is terrible. <laughs> uh, I agreed. I did a different fundraiser where I, in case anyone doesn't know, where you, I agreed to, I was raising money for uh, the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank, which is the uh, the local edition here in LA of uh, what Feeding America does. And I uh, got very excited. Uh, I said I would match donations up to $50,000. And after like one second, we had $9,000. And I very stupidly awesome. said that if, uh, if we hit $50,000 by the end of that day, I would shave my head. I thought this through not for one second. <laughs> didn't uh, even and tell then, <laughs> yeah, didn't tell my wife, didn't tell anybody. Uh, tweeted that it's on, it was, uh, you know, the internet never forgets. And so there was nothing I could do about it. We hit $50,000 in an hour. And then I kept adding uh, things. Uh, clearly, humili- my humiliation was key to this, right? So I kept adding things like, I'll wear a Derek Jeter jersey. I'll eat a hot fruit pie. Uh, someone, I think, uh, oh, Seth Meyers offered to donate $10,000 if while wearing the Derek Jeter jersey with a shaved head uh, and eating a fruit pie, I said Spygate was real, uh, referring, to the Patri- <laughs> referring to the Patriot Spygate, not the uh, Astro Spygate. So it just kept snowballing. So And then eventually, so we got up to like 175000 bucks or something. And then a, a number of people had contacted me and said, instead of shaving my head, would you instead grow the beard that you wore when you played Moe's on The Office? So I put that up as a Twitter poll. Moe's won 70-30. So I've been growing this beard now for m- months. Uh, it's terrible, and I hate it. And as soon as I can get my hand on a Derek Jeter jersey, which is actually weirdly proving to be harder than I thought it would be. Joe, yes. you, tr- you tried to get me one, and then there was a massive shipping delay, right? Yeah, yeah, no. This was one of the one of the you know really it was a it was it was my great joy to go ahead and, and get you a Derek Jeter jersey uh, to wear, even though uh, I, I I would say my hatred of the Yankees is equal, but you know I, it, when you're humiliated, it's good. And and uh, and I ordered it, and I got like a you know I was able to connect with some people who helped me order it, and I ordered a Derek Jeter jersey and put your address on it. And it was supposed to deliver on May 1st, which would have ended your uh, existence as uh, as a bearded man. And uh, and then you texted me like two days ago and said, hey, where's my, did you get that Jeter jersey? And I'm like, yeah, you should have had it like two weeks ago. 
And uh, and you said, no, I don't have it. And then I went and looked and I realized that they had delayed it to July 1st. <laughs> Which, by the way, and I don't know how to cancel the order. So whatever happens, if you are able to, and I assume that you will do anything in your power to get a Derek Jeter jersey so you don't have to keep the beard to July 1st. But it looks like either way, you're getting a Derek Jeter jersey on July 1st. I don't know how to stop it. Great. It's like, it is like one of the 10 plays. I, I don't know how to stop it. I'll tell you what happened. What what happened here was Jeter found out what was going on <laughs> and he stepped in and delayed the shipping. That's, yeah, I, I swear, I promise no you that's doubt. what happened. He was like, there's no, no let like delay it for another two months and make him, make him grow the beard longer. And this is all, <laughs> this is the, the last bit of Derek Jeter making me miserable. Uh, me personally, me, Mike. Um, so anyway, the, as soon as I can get my hands on a Jeter jersey, I'm going to take a video of myself eating a hot fruit pie uh, with my dumb beard uh, and saying all sorts of things that any uh, Boston sports fan uh, would uh, not want to say while eating uh, apple pie. Uh, and I'll post it and then this long national nightmare can finally be over. We can only hope. Gary, what is your fi- your hair situation like right now? This is a good question. I, I do shave nearly every day, so so I, I haven't grown because my my facial hair is very gray. So I, I I shave almost every day. But then my my hair, which I was growing out anyhow, so I'm really not concerned. But it's it's probably shoulder length, depending on whether I whether I I brush it. So if I if I if I take the Jew out, so to speak. <laughs> if I, I straighten it a little bit through through some product, then then it is shoulder length. But if the if the Jew stays in, then it then it is rather <laughs> it, it goes out, so it doesn't reach my shoulders. But it's it's it looks best after I've after I've gone for a long jog. So that's the that's the length. This is good. I can't complain. I can't complain. I still have it, so I'm glad. That's great. No, that's great. I I I have a beard uh, now, and uh, I hate it. But I hate shaving equally uh, too. So so uh, until the beard becomes like so annoying that it equals my annoyance with shaving, I I guess I keep it. You know, I I think. But but Mike, you say you would say you've passed full shaving annoyance you would you would shave if you could oh i would uh, happily shave more than have this terrible beard i mean it's not <laughs> it's not a good beard it's it is very uh, salt and peppery slash grayish it's itchy and uncomfortable it doesn't it's not flattering i mean it's a terrible beard it's really really <laughs> awful so i i have no um i have no problem sh- i don't like shaving but i would i would happily shave every day for the next year if it meant I could get rid of this thing right now. Get rid of the beard, yeah. And it's I'm, so I'm, it's just so ironic that the only reason I can is because I don't own a Derek Jeter jersey. <laughs> it's really, it really, the fates really are cruel. I mean, they're just, there's a cruelty to the fates. All right, Gary, I want to talk with you for a minute, and uh, Mike will, of course, join in because Mike has thoughts on this as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I, over at The Athletic, I am doing a – series called 60 moments where I'm counting down the 60 greatest moments of baseball history as I see it in my own demented mind. And, uh, recently I wrote about two things that, that struck you because of your own childhood. Uh, one of those being baseball cards and the other being, uh, stratomatic, but, but more, more generally, 
those sorts of strategy baseball games both playing huge roles in your life when when was when in, in your memory was the first year you started collecting baseball cards the first set that i ever purchased cards from from or as i called them back then cards from the <laughs> ice cream man and and at every single convenience store we ever went into was was the 77 Season. Ooh, so, okay. That was the, a, the little flag on them, the ones that had the little flag. Yeah, yeah, they had a flag, and 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 just I was I was thinking about the backs of baseball cards from my era. They were just you could be, you really needed a magnifying glass and a light to, to be able to read the <laughs> stats, like a a, a, a light you that a coal miner would use. The stats they were trying to keep the stats from us and I, and I, I just remember that the last season it seemed was like the 1970 season where they had readable stats that were were white at least in my youth I think they went back to the white back white backs but the the it, it was really frustrating to try to read those stats and they were just they, they must have saved a lot of money by not using quality quality backs but 77 was the first season and then and then 1978 was the year i tried to collect them all and there was just there were no baseball card shows at the time or at least none that i was aware of and i spent months trying to complete a set and all i was missing was was basically ted simmons and 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 ken reitz sure I, 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 not, I was spending $20, $40, $60 trying to get the Ken Reitz to complete this set. And, and kids weren't about trading for some reason at that time. We weren't getting together for trading until the 80s. And, and, and I'm just I, – I, I, would, I would get angry because of, of how many – how many yazzes I was getting? So many yazzes, and I and I every time I would see that face, and he 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 was already gray by that point. He made the All Star team somehow, but I was just I was just furious, furious. Even the value of a yaz was was much higher than a Ken Reitz. I, I needed a Ken Reitz. That's amazing. The reason you didn't have any Ken Reitzes is because I got 500 of them. I think that's the reason <laughs> they were shipping to South Euclid, Ohio. Only Ken Reitzes were – there was none in the Boston area. Mike, what was the first year you, you started collecting cards? It was 1980, so I was a couple years later. Um, but I, I then, as I got into my uh, – you know, got to the point in the mid-'80s, late-'80s where I could, like, have babysitting jobs and stuff, I went backwards. There was a – Remember the department store G Fox? There was a oh, yeah. there was a G Fox in Hartford, and in the basement there was a guy who was like renting a <laughs> space from the G Fox to sell baseball cards, and he had complete sets and and uh, and all these individual cards. And so, like, I would save up money, and my mom or dad would take me to the basement of G Fox in Hartford, Connecticut, and I would buy. So I went backwards. I got this '79 set and the '78 set, wow. and I got the '77 set. I think that's the. I went back to. I wanted to get back to '75 because I was born in '75. So I wanted to get every set yeah. from when I was born. Um, but the, that '77 set is really t- truly terrible. Like, I it's the terrible. cards were the cards are wow. not attractive, and the and they. They were really, even by those standards, they were really flimsy. They bent, the corners bent really easily. 
Um, But there is one thing that I would like you both to look up on your computers right now. And if you're listening at home and are near a computer, Google 1977 Brian Downing. It's one of the greatest baseball cards ever made. It's I I had like five of these and it is. Yes, it is truly inexplicable. He is wearing a collared shirt, a collared sports jersey of some kind and a white turtleneck. And a turtleneck. And he has uh he has sunglasses or like tinted shades they're on. Tinted. They're not even sunglasses, they're no, tinted glasses. Yeah. It's unclear what's going on. His hat is bananas. His hat is not a baseball hat. And he's got an enormous, like basically like the same hair that dogs have is coming out <laughs> from either side of his head. And I, I remember oh seeing my, that Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was my favorite card. Jones. Absolutely he, my favorite card from that set. Did he break his arm? Why is there a cast on his left arm? I, that... I mean, that's the thing. I could never totally tell. You can't really see what's going on. Is it t- athletic tape or is it just the turtleneck <laughs> or something? But it does look like he has an ace bandage or something on his left hand or maybe it's a yep. batting glove. But I, I just like the story of the, someone needs to do a 12 part podcast on the story of this card. <laughs> It is such a great card. By the way, I wanted to add one other thought to your thought, Gary, on on how small the the stats were. The the one thing I noticed when I was when I was really young, and I think I noticed it first because I think my first full year of collecting was seventy six, so one year earlier. And um, the seventy six, like like what the thing I noticed is that obviously they're getting all of your stats on the back of that card, no matter how like recent you are no matter it doesn't matter like if you're a rookie they're having just the one year on there and if you're and if you're you know a tenure and i remember that because they didn't change it if you had like a really long career they would have to make the type even smaller like on the back so like the henry aaron card the hank aaron 1976 card microscopic just absolutely microscopic stats on the bat there's no no like ted williams would not be able to have read the numbers on the back of that 1976 hank aaron uh baseball card i always thought that was fun they just had to adjust that's true (laughs) i like the 76 set better the 76 set had some really cool weird um color combos like Like pinks and oranges and yellows, and it's super. It's really seventiesy. It's really like light blue and like burnt sienna, as like because they had two strips at the bottom, uh, and then they had like a fun outline of what kind of player you were in a little card of cartoon in the lower left. So there's pitchers. There's like a pitcher uh, icon, and there's like hitting icons and and fielding icons and stuff. Uh, and they were, and they had an outline around them that was the same as the border of the card, and it was a real like, um, it was just a real melange of of nonsense on the, <laughs> on those cards. Like it really, a really like like the Astros cards and the Indians cards. I'm looking at them now. Were like, there's like one of the bands is of color is pink, and one of them is orange, <laughs> and the type in the pink is white, but the type in the orange is black, and it's just a it's a mess. Like a, it's a really delightful mess. Oh, but don't you think 75 is also a delightful mess in its own way with all the, the crazy colors they had for that? That was good, too. Yeah, 75. So I went back and got 
that to me that's a little too much though like that it's cool <laughs> but like it's so garish because the entire card is a color right. now like the right. entire board and they split them in half the top half is one color and the bottom half is another color <laughs> it's it's like this was like the dude who designed these cards like went out discoing super hard the night before <laughs> and like definitely didn't sleep and then forgot that he was supposed to like come up with the design and just was like what it's, it's colors <laughs> add more colors purples and pinks and uh it is a it's a kind of a disaster but i still i mean they're still fun to look at because they're, they're so different from what came later when like upper deck showed up and ruined everything by making everything really sleek and and, uh, and bright cool and, and looking cool you know, yeah and, yeah it's, it's it's like going to high definition we didn't need it we just didn't we just didn't need it uh gary so so the other thing to talk to you about is uh this uh the strategy baseball games now did you did you play stratomatic when you were like is that is that a game in your past or no Yes, yes. My my oldest brother had a so I was born in 1970. My brother was 13 years older than me. So he was born in 57. He had a set of 1971. And so when I got really into baseball in 1979, I used his set and cool. it, it was really incredible. I got to use Clemente and Aaron and Mays and it was it was really cool, and so I, I got into that, and then we were really broke, so we couldn't buy an entire new set. So this, this I'll never forget this. My, my middle brother called Stratomatic Baseball in, in New York, and they must have been desperate too. <laughs> they were willing to send us five teams from each league at a at a reduced price they didn't wow. send that they just send us five teams from each league and so i chose the best teams from each league and then the, the red Sox, of course from the american league and i i created my own little little league and and everything was was inflated because there was there was only good players in the in the league so i played that and then a couple of summers later, I made friends on a little league team with this this boy named Sam. Well, he's a man now, I imagine. <laughs> his, name was, his name was Sam Penta, and he had this thing called Status Pro. Oh. Instead of trying to convert him to Stratomatic, I played an entire summer of Status Pro, and we just that was one of the great summers of my life. We we were either in an above ground pool or playing status pro or playing wiffle ball all day long. <laughs> and, and it was just such a, such a delight, but status pro, oh, so good. I hadn't heard anybody mention it until you wrote that article the other day, Joe. And so I had, I had been convinced for years that I had, I had dreamt the whole thing, even the Sam Penta part of it, he may have been a, a figment, but I, I loved this game so much. And then I, I remember one year Wade Boggs came up late and I figured out they, they gave you instructions on to how to make your own card. And I made my own Wade Boggs card and he hit he hit uh, two thousand. He hit he, he, he got <laughs> every time he got up at bat. He was so good that summer. He he was just a revel and he also came up from the minor leagues at, at about forty. He was like forty years old when he, he came up from, from, the, 
from the minor leagues because he he wasn't a home run hitter. Right. Discounted his his 500 batting average at. at <laughs> so so it, it was just that was the greatest that was and and you when you talked about Dwight Evans home run in the Stratomatic <laughs> League I mean that that brought back some memories but also made me feel less alone in that some of my greatest moments in baseball had nothing to do with a bat and a ball. They had everything to do with dice. It's so, it's so great. Mike, were you a player? Did you play Stratomatic or, or Stratus Pro when you were young? I really didn't. It's like one of the great shames of my life is that it, it kind of missed me. Like I definitely had it, um, but I, don't, I, I didn't have any brothers and, uh, and my parents split up when, when I was pretty young. And so I didn't have anyone to play with me. And my friend uh, who lived down the street and I used to, uh, essentially made up a different game where we would take lineups from teams. He was a Yankee fan. I was a Red Sox fan. And we played like a version of like stoop ball outside his house with a tennis oh, sure. ball where sure. we would oh, like, wow. you know, so and we go through the lineup. So like, you know, leading off is this person and then you throw it and he gets a single and then you would count the runs and whatever. So we sort of played like a, a non-dice version that we made up. We were sort of like collected from a bunch of different kinds of games. So I kind of never played those games. Like I definitely had Stratomatic, but I also lost so much of it. It got like, I think I, I we had a dog and I think the dog ate some of it or chewed it up. And so I, I just, I kind of never, I just was, it was never a really a part of my life. And it kind of bums me out that that's true. Yeah, it's, 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 it's such a, it's such a powerful memory. And Status Pro was great. I, I mean, Honestly, like you almost like they stopped making it or they it it was never as easily accessible as Stratomatic. And in some ways, I always thought Status Pro was even more fun than Stratomatic because there's like there are little quirks about about Status Pro um, that were really, really fun. Like like it used to be if you were a really good pitcher, like in in Stratomatic, if you roll one die, if you go, um, you know, one to three, it, it goes on on a hitter card, and, and then two to three, four to six goes a pitcher's card or or reverse. And in Stratomatic, if you were a really good pitcher, the ball would go on your card more because it was like if you were like a two to nine pitcher, you would roll two dice, and any number between two and nine would actually go on the pitcher's card. So like if you were Goose Gossage, it like never went on the hitter's card ever. Right. And 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 so Goose Gossage was like unhittable essentially. And it was so I, I love that game so much. Gary, it was the greatest, right? Yeah, it was it was so much fun and, and I, I totally identify with, with Mike's call on the you needed friends. So I remember the the the, the main reason I was never involved in, in Dungeons and Dragons, I had the books. I didn't have enough friends to to play a role-playing game so i just i i couldn't really access it but but the interesting thing with stratomatic and status pro is that if you if you were really lonely you could play <laughs> by yourself i mean it, it was bad and you, and you knew that there was something better to be doing with your with your time but but you could play by yourself you just had to make decisions you had to be on you couldn't be biased towards one team and and favored certain players, but I favored certain stats. So I would I would set up so that Eddie Murray would would get thirty three home runs every day. <laughs> would you sit him? Would you sit him for like the last two weeks of the season if necessary? 
He's, I, it was more along the lines of he wasn't hitting as many home runs as I as as he needed, and there there were also certain stars that were more stars in in Stratomatic, like Wally Backman. I've always heard is one of the greatest Stratomatic players of all the time, and he was an excellent Met, but he was he was he was he was not not, not a superstar. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Well, Gary, I think we have. I think you have to go, right? I think we're going to yeah, lose I, you here. I, I, it's so weird because I schedule nothing, and then I have two podcasts back. <laughs> I have a mental health podcast right now, which probably will be a little heavier than than this. But this was this was so fun. I feel like we've known each other all our lives, guys. So so thank you for including me in this, and and it's nice to virtually meet you, Mike. Yes, yeah, nice to virtually meet you. Big fan. Thank, oh, thank you. Same here. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Right. The podcast is brought to you by Hydrant. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. This is true for me. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. I guess those are the four essential electrolytes. They help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists. There's no synthetic colors or or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet. For a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And you can also get 25% off your first offer. Simply go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS. All right, so, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was... uh, I'm, by the way, I'm really sad now that you didn't get to play Stratomatic or anything when you were when you were young. I've been secretly sad about it my whole life. Like I really have, and I've thought about trying to buy an old set and playing it with my son. But the reality is, Stratomatic at the time we were kids could compete with other forms right. of entertainment in a way that it can't now. Like, why would my son want to play Stratomatic baseball when he can? like call up a YouTube clip of literally anything that's ever happened in the history of baseball in one second. Like it just, it is, it, it was a, a game for a specific time and place. And that, and that time and place has long passed. So uh, it bums me out, you know, it, it is, it is sad. It is. I mean, and you're right. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, I want to play Stratomatic with the kids and they, they, it's sort of like, you remember, did you guys play or you of the age where you could play like that handheld electronic football game? Oh yeah, definitely. That, that I definitely played. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was the greatest thing of the time. And yet, you know, they still sell them. Like you can get them like at a, I have one. Yeah. I bought one like two years ago. Yeah. Right. And, and then you look at it and you go, how, how did this keep our attention for, for, you know, I mean, not to say that I don't play it because I do still play it, but like, you just have to pretend that like a little blip of light is a running back and, and it, it doesn't, it's it sort of demands a lot that uh, kids would never want to put in now. Yeah, and it there's also there's there's also the basketball version, which is even lamer. The basketball version is truly <laughs> terrible. 
Like it's it's you because ha- you can only make a shot if you're one like unit away from the basket basically, and so and if anyone is between you, you it gets blocked. So like that 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 was even more infuriating. But the the football one had certain like the certain the football one had a certain excitement to it because if you got on a real run, like if you broke through the line and were like, and then you came through the other side and you were just like, like it, you really did like get an endorphin rush, you know, like it, it, that, that's still, I still pick it up sometimes and do it just to get one of those little mini runs. Cause it's really fun when that happens. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know if they've gotten any tougher as the years have gone on, but I can remember as a kid, being good enough at, that I could, you know, you could do that did, 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 did thing so fast that you didn't even have to make moves. You just went right down the sideline and just kept running. But now if I try to do that, like eventually somebody cuts me off and I've got to like make moves and it's, it's, I don't think I'm nearly as good as I was. Then. Yeah. I, I think that probably when we were kids, we played it 11 hours a day. And so we got really good at it. And now <laughs> that would, yeah, that would that would make the difference. All right, you know what? Let's do one last meaningless thing then. This meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael. No diet coke for Joe. The podcast. Do you want to start? No, you start. Okay, so so this is this is quite meaningless. My wife just got us a new basketball net uh, for our basketball uh, little little hoop that we have outside. Uh, the old one, I think we we is the original version of it and uh, which we got it like seven or eight years ago so it's it's kind of sad uh so she got us a new one it's 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 like a neon yellow it's very cool but i she gave it to me and said put the new net on and i went uh on the little ladder to go ahead and put the new lead on and i started to take in the net down and i honestly felt like i had just won the ncaa championship (laughs) i just (laughs) i was just up there just like there's this feeling is so it's it's no wonder and i asked her if we could cut it down and she wouldn't let me do it i don't know why uh like what are we saving that net for i i don't know but uh but yeah but even just taking the net down it felt i felt very i felt very roy williams i just was up there just are you pulling that thing down are you a little sad that Jim Nance didn't show up out of nowhere and give you his necktie? <laughs> yes. Yes. I wanted to hear that, that song, um, which by the way is terrible. Uh, that one shining, <laughs> one moment, shining moment. No, it's is, great. Come on. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. so my, my one last meaningless thing is that, uh, you, uh, I'm, I don't know if you've had this problem, but glasses wearers suffer daily indignities. Um, and there's a new one, which is that if you are outside in this time of, uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus and you have to wear a mask, um, when you wear, if you're wearing glasses or sunglasses for that matter, your breath fogs up the glasses and, and and glasses wearers are, are very familiar with things fogging up the glasses. If you get into a car that's 
hot and you're cold or vice versa. Your glasses steam up and you have to take them off and rub them and blah, 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 blah. But this it's like yet another uh, thing where glasses uh, are a problem. Now, I usually wear contacts, although in L.A., I have to wear sunglasses. The sunglasses fog up or steam up when you wear a mask. It's a problem. And so I'd like to just use this one last meaningless thing to say a word of praise uh, for one of the truly great inventions of the of history. Like, uh, you know, there's like the there's the steam engine, the combustible engine, and there's the airplane and things like that. Sure. But uh, sure. e- equal among them is the small uh, uh, glasses cleaner that comes with oh, any yes. any set of sunglasses that you buy, <laughs> or if your glasses wear, comes with your new frames. It's a small, uh, usually rectangular, specific kind of cloth uh, yes. that you're supposed to use to clean glasses so you don't scratch the lenses. And these things work so well. <laughs> if, you clean your, if you clean your glasses with your shirt uh, tail or with a Kleenex even or anything, you get, and you put them back on. Everything is smeared and and it looks terrible yeah. and horrible. It, yeah, nothing works. These little amazing pieces of cloth that you get when you're a, uh, when you buy a pair of sunglasses or regular glasses, you just one quick swipe with your index finger and thumb over each lens, your glasses are perfectly clean. They are brand. They they look like you got them that day, and I have conservatively. 7,000 of these things yeah. in my house because I've been wearing glasses my whole life and, and sunglasses in LA and everything else. I can never find them. And when I do find them, I like, I, it's like, I want to, I want to treat them the way that like gas stations treat the key to the restroom. Like I want to, I want to attach it to like a large frying pan so that I, so I always know where it is. But uh, but I, I recently found like a essentially a treasure trove of them in my in a in my bathroom what drawer in my bathroom I found like eight of them that I had just thrown in there and I'm so happy because now with this new additional thing that causes your glasses to get steamed up or fogged up or uh, or dirty or smudgy or whatever these things are invaluable and and I just oh. want to thank whoever invented them because uh, they they really do make your life instantly less annoying than it was the second before you used it well there there are obviously as a lifelong glasses wearer there are a couple of points i want to make one is the feeling of like really cleaning your glasses with one of those glasses cleaners like that like that little that little piece of fabric when you put that back on your face the glasses magic what a feeling it's It's magical it's like you it's literally you feel like you just did a magic trick you're just you're like wow like the whole world comes to life right in front of your very eyes for the very first time in your life it's it's it is it is that moment in wizard of oz where it, it like the world becomes color that's exactly yeah. what it's like yes absolutely it's so wonderful and second why are not more things made out of that cloth like why is that cloth not accessible at every minute of every day it feels to me like it's it's the perfect material. I don't even know what it is. See, I think that I disagree. I think that cloth has its singular purpose. It was invented to do this one thing. It doesn't need to do anything else. I don't want it to do anything else because if you started making shirts out of this, there'd be less of that cloth for the 
people who really need it, which are people who wear glasses. This is a precious you- resource. We need to treat it like we treat uranium or something. It's a, it's very, very important that it be used in moderation and only for its express purpose. What, what, what do you think of using larger versions of that, like to clean like your phone or your iPad? I've done that. I don't know if you've done yes. that, but I've done I that. And done it, that. Yeah. It, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it quite works as well, but it does work. Like it does. It and it, yeah, it definitely works. And again, though, I'm just worried that I'm going to like use it up somehow and that it won't, <laughs> that it won't be available to me when I need it for the thing that it's really meant for, you know? By the way, how did they determine, like, first of all, okay, two, two, two other points. One is how did they determine the size of those things? Because they're all the same size and they're all perfect size for it's perfect size I, I, again i just think whoever invented it was like it's this and it's this size and that's it like that's it you know it's like a, they but they nailed it they nailed it on the first try it's absolutely perfect it's like literally just fits exactly over your fingers exactly the right size but the second thing is what do you think of like the little spray glasses cleaner well you know here's the thing joe you're not supposed to use them in concert did you know that you're not I did know that. Yes. You're not supposed to spray it's counterintuitive, but you're not supposed to spray the glasses cleaner and then use the magic cloth. You're supposed to use correct. one or the other. So That's I basically correct. never use the spray cleaner. I only use the magic cloth. Why do you need the spray cleaner with the magic cloth? I think it's I mean, like the- if if your life has gone terribly and you can't find one of the magic cloths, oh, this is your next best sure. option. Sure. And th- and they probably would tell you right up front, like, look. It's not going to clean your glasses as well, and it's going. It's got that re- really strong smell, so it will not. It will not be as good. But if you don't have one in a pinch, this is the closest you can get to that clean it's glass. Better, feel. It's better than nothing, but nothing comes close <laughs> to the magic cloth. I'm using it right now, and it feels amazing. It's well, it's incredible. It's just it's and I, you know it's funny. I don't I don't because I wear uh, glasses. I I I very rarely wear sunglasses, but this past. Uh, year I got myself prescription sunglasses uh, because I can't do like contacts just aren't they're not going to work for me so I got prescription sunglasses which are amazing and if anything the magic cloth is even better on sunglasses really like, on prescri- like I, think, well, I mean I use them on my sunglasses but you're saying on prescription sunglasses on prescription sunglasses because I don't know why maybe it's just because they're darker or whatever but they seem to draw more dust and, and, and whatever it is in the air that, that wrecks our glasses in the first place. And boy, you give, you give that thing a good magic cloth and perfect. Just it's perfect. Thank you. Person who invented this small piece of fabric. (laughs) This is, this is exactly right. No, it's so great. It's so great. Well, there we go. One more time. We have solved all of the world's problems. Um, As always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me.